So today's the second Sunday of Lent. We always have the Transfiguration, which means I misspoke last night when I made the comment about um, the, the, uh, the reference to the temptation. Is We had just read those antiphons in the Shorter Christian Prayer about the temptation, so my head was thinking in that direction. I was like, no, no, that was last week. This week is the Transfiguration. Second week is always the Transfiguration, um, which is interesting, of course, because it's it, it's a good moment, right? It's a happy moment. It's a highlight. Um, you know, and here we are in Lent, supposed to be thinking very sad and bad and painful thoughts, right? So it seems a little out of place there. And in fact, the church fathers talk about uh, it, uh, Jesus choosing to do that to prepare his apostles um, for the, the coming pain and sorrow and confusion of the resurrection, or of, of the crucifixion before the resurrection. If that's the case, it didn't work, right? <laughs> they were not prepared. They did not suddenly remember that good things were yet to come. They did not uh, not run away, right? So, so that, that didn't work out as planned, but uh, we still get the benefits of it because we can see it as, as, again, giving hope even in the midst of that sadness. Now, what's interesting is um, Jesus seems to line up certain things that he does even up in Galilee, away from Jerusalem, away from most of the, the, the temple and, and uh, uh, ritual stuff, he still lines them up with the Jewish calendar. It's like he's like keeping his own calendar, but making the things different, right? We know that on the, the second year of his uh, public ministry, when it's Passover, that's when he's doing the feeding the 5,000 right before the Bread of Life discourse in John chapter 6, right? And there's a couple of other moments like that. And what lines up with the transfiguration, according to, to most Bible scholars, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we've talked a couple times about the tabernacle, the big you know, wilderness tent uh, set up uh, outside the, the, the camp when Moses and the people were, were going through the desert. But the Feast of Tabernacles is about little tents. The people had set up little tents. And actually, when I lived in Philadelphia, we were in kind of, uh, we boarded a Jewish neighborhood. There's multiple Jewish day schools for like little grade school kids. And during certain months of the year, you would actually see they made little tents. It was like, just like our kids would make like a stained glass window project or something like that. They had these little colorful tents filling the front yard. And they would like do that during their school and that kind of represented their little tents. It was a cool little, cool little thing. You could kind of like tell what season it was based on that. Um, so this, this makes a connection. And people debate uh, whether or not, you know, when Peter says, let us put three tents here, is that what this is about? But regardless of that part, you can line up stuff that's in the Transfiguration really, really, really well with what happens in Exodus chapter 33. And actually, what we're going to see is that it actually lines up in a really cool way with Mass as well. So we're told this. Uh, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting, right? So basically you've got their dwelling place and then a special place, right? Up the mountain in the case of the transfiguration and into the sanctuary in the case of mass. Well, even the church itself is set aside and then the sanctuary is set aside all the more, right? And uh, it's going to be the tent of meeting, the place where, as we said, the line between heaven and earth is not as solid, it's more porous. It's where man Man meets God, and also God comes down to meet man. And said, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So the people could actually go and pray there. But again, they went away. They made a retreat. They went away so that they could talk to God. And then it says, whenever Moses went out of the tent, 
out to the tent, the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So it's like the people are gathering and they're watching him, him go in there, right? And we see the same thing in the temple, right? Like on the Day of Atonement, right? The high priest goes in where no one else goes. He goes into the Holy of Holies behind the veil and he goes and he takes the blood in right up to the, to the Ark of the Covenant. So this idea of like the whole people are in the liturgy and then the priest has to do a specific work, you know, farther into, into that set-aside space. Okay, um, And then it says, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. And now we really see the connection with the transfiguration, right? So they've gone away. They're up on the, the high mountain, right? They're, they're waiting there watching, following the leader, right? And then the cloud comes, right? There's, we're told the cloud is bright, and yet it somehow also casts a shadow, right? And that's up there, and things transform in that moment. And it says further here um, that... Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each of the entrance of, to their tent, right? And so this is idea of, like, them falling down in worship. Like, we hear Peter, James, and John fall down in worship when God comes closer. In this case, when they can see that Jesus is, is different, right? They're like, okay, now the Godhead is shining through, right? God from God, light from light is shining through. And then tells us, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So that's a famous line, that God would speak to Moses face to face. And here are Peter, James, and John getting to see God the Son face to face revealed in his glory. And interestingly, Moses gets to see him face to face too. And Elijah apparently gets brought in on the gig, right? Because they're both there representing the, the law and the prophets and stuff like that. But then it gets even more interesting. If you go on to the next chapter, uh, it, it continues... Um, and it, this is where God tells Moses to, to make the, the stone tablets, and he chisels them away and all that good stuff, right? But then something else happens. Moses makes bold to speak in the same way that Peter makes bold to speak, even at the very peak of this manifestation, this glorious shining of Jesus, right? Moses gets bold and says, he bows to the ground at once and worshiped, and he says, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and take us as your inheritance. So he says, come with us. Don't leave us alone, right? Don't leave us. This is a great moment, but come with us and go with us. Let the cloud keep traveling with us. Let the pillar of fire at night keep traveling with us. Don't leave us alone. So you can see kind of Peter's thing of like, we don't want to leave here. We want to stay here. Let us put up tents and, and we'll remain up here, right? And then he tells him that he's going to make this covenant. Um, and then at the end of that... Um, then God does something even more special. He lets Moses see a little bit of him, right? This is the famous moment where he says, can I see, you? Can I see your face? Um, and, and God says, no, you can't do that. That would be too much busy. I would melt you like it's the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And instead, he says, I'm going to hide you in this cleft and put my hand over you, and then I'm going to walk past you. And so you can, you'll be able to peek your head out at the very end and see the last little bit of my, like my train, my robe as I go past. Um, and the church fathers say like that they, he was able to see the radiance of all the world, like see the world as God had created it in that moment, right? So this, again, coming back to the, the transfiguration, this idea that they, they got to go more than Moses did, right? They do get to see Jesus' face, and they said it's shown like the light. And then, of course, they don't want to go away, 
And this is when Moses then comes down the mountain. And if you remember, when he comes down the mountain from this moment, his face is shining, right? And the people can't even look on his face. It's so glorious and shining. He has to wear a veil. um, And he would only take the veil off when Moses goes back to talk to the Lord. So it's really kind of fascinating how, you know, how many pieces line up. But we know when Jesus comes down the mountain, his face doesn't glow anymore, right? And neither do the faces of those who got to see it. So it's a little different. Here's the thing. Do you remember what they talk about on the way down the mountain, though? As they come down the mountain, it's another prediction of the passion. So they've just seen the glory of God shining in Jesus. And then on the way down, he's like, and yet, I'm going to be arrested and handed over and tortured and killed and, and buried, right? And it's, it's this intense you know, thing for them to be like, wait, is it glory or is it suffering? They can't put the two together yet, right? They don't have the, the ability to do that. Now, pull that back together with the Mass, right? Again, we're in a special place. There's a more special place here, right? The people are all gathered, but then they send one to go up closer, right? And then we get to see not just glory and not just crucifixion, but both, right? At Mass, we see them both. We get to see the face of Jesus suffering and the face of Jesus glorified. When you receive the Eucharist, God staying with us, God going with us on the journey, God who won't let us go, he says, you're going to receive the crucified and resurrected flesh of the Son of God. You're going to receive them both. And you'll never have to be without, right? You Just as the, the cloud and the flame followed them through the wilderness and stayed in the tent, then you go out glowing with the presence of Christ. You go out with the fire in your heart. You go out with the the glow of of Jesus' face on your face. So it's really cool how the Old Testament, the New Testament, and how we celebrate it today all come together. And that we get a taste of both that prediction of the passion and of the, the prediction of the glory. But we know how the story ends. We know that it ends in far more suffering than they could have fathomed, but far more glory than they could have fathomed. And then we would have had no guess, they would have had no guess, that we eventually get to eat and drink and keep and follow around with us that presence of God. So let us rejoice today. It is a day of Lent and sadness, but it's also a day of, of really a festival, a festival of, of, of glory. And we get to celebrate both those as we get farther and farther into this Eucharistic sacrifice.